some people, you know, they want it easy and, and sports betting is a business. And if you think about a lot of successful companies, you know, the business is, is hard, you know, it's hard work. And the truth is that's the best part of it, because if it wasn't hard, everybody would do it and there would be no edge. Welcome to Props and Hops, a betting and beer podcast powered by Dimers.com and part of Blue Wire Hustle. I'm your host, Matt Landis, and this is the first of a few interviews I'm planning to release during the NFL season after getting some great feedback on weekly interviews during the offseason. And in this episode, it's my conversation with professional prop better Porter. Among other things, we get Porter's best advice for aspiring prop bettors, his read on where the market is today and where he thinks it's headed and why he sees value in embracing chaos across the betting marketplace. One quick housekeeping note before we cut to the conversation. For free NFL picks driven by analytics and thousands of simulations, check out the cutting-edge quick pick section over at dimers.com. You can find a link to that in the show notes to see where you want to get down on the Dimers bot's biggest edges. And now, enjoy my conversation with professional prop better Porter. Porter, welcome to Props and Hops. I know we had to travel all the way across the country to meet each other at Bet Bash, but it's exciting to reconnect with a fellow better in Southern California and learn more about your process. So thanks for taking time to come on the show. Hey, Landis. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's kind of ironic that we met on the other side of the nation, but you know, we live basically next door neighbors. Yeah, hopefully before too long, we're able to have a conversation like this in person, maybe over some good beers. I would like to at least touch on your background. And for reference for listeners, you had a great discussion on the Circles Off podcast with Rob Pizzola and Johnny from Betstamp. That episode came out back in June. So I'd highly recommend checking that out if you haven't listened to it already. And the goal here is more to advance that conversation than to repeat it too much. But just in case, you know, there are people out there who aren't too familiar yet with your background, I'd love it if you could give, you know, maybe a quick refresher on um, what's gotten you to this point in your betting career. Yeah. So how I started basically studied econ and finance and around age of 17, I was playing poker, you know, got into the online craze. I think I got a little bit lucky because I started a year before that big moneymaker boom year. So I had a little bit of a head start. Um, So I always kind of played poker throughout my mid-20s. After school, I went and moved abroad. And um, I was an economist for a large corporation. Didn't really love that. Just not not because of the job, just because, you know, that's how large companies, they operate a little bit differently than what most people think. Had a bunch of fun out there. And then I came back to uh, Southern California. Uh, When I got back here, um, I was back to playing poker, you know, home games and casinos, kind of worked my way back up to the 2040 and 4080 uh, stud eight Omaha games. Yep. uh, A lot of old people in those games. (laughs) And uh, at the same time, I started dabbling in DFS and I had some moderate success there. I met a guy in a DFS, like a channel discord talking and he just kind of seemed smarter than the other guys. <laughs> and he kind of guided me, helped me improve my game. 
And funny enough, at the same time, he sort of introduced me to this. It was a popular site back in the day. Um, still today, it's around. Basically, all it did was it would just show you, I guess, CLV. Back then, I didn't really know what that meant. But basically, it would just show you soft sites. And then it would show you what the tough sites, the sharp sites said. And if there were large deviations, you would kind of put a bet down. And I think I bet, and I'm talking about really small bets, something like 30,000. And I mean, small bets, $2, $3, just kind of learning. And after betting that, I was down 500 bucks. And I said, ah, something here doesn't seem right. And just happenstance, I got on SBR forum. And honestly, never really read anything there. But there's this one article from a guy named Poker Joe, who I know is still active today, where he wrote this brilliant article about what closing line value really means versus what kind of people think it means. And from there, I kind of asked for the CSV from the company that kept saying you were getting all this edge, realized it was kind of phony baloney. And at that point, I just started figuring I got to do this on my own. Funny enough, at the same time, another poker buddy of mine who was friends even outside of poker, he was telling me he was winning at sports betting, uh, specifically props. And he kind of showed me what he was doing. He was using some site. And after about three or four weeks of consistently losing one unit a week while he was telling me he was winning, I realized, you know what, I got to this is just you just got to do this on your own and figure out what's really going on. There's no like easy easy way out. So while I was playing, so I started studying at that point on my own, like how, how to kind of win reading books, you know, Python, R modeling. And actually how, what happened at that point was that same person who told me how he was winning. Uh, what I realized what was happening, what he told me was he was just giving it to a sharp group and they were betting props. And again, at the same time I was playing DFS and at that point, every once in a while, I would notice they had plays that just made no sense from the DFS research I was doing. And uh, this was in basketball. And then come baseball, they were winning. They were betting strikeouts. And all of a sudden, they stopped. Now, I really didn't understand anything about betting at this point. Maybe, you know, the lines, the big started being really bad or the site released late or, or who knows what. But at that point, I was like, you know what? This now really has to be 100% in my hands. So from there on, I just kind of went solo, figured out, you know, what needs to be done to win. And that's how I got started. Yeah, you talk about going solo at a certain point. But one of my major takeaways from that answer is still that there seems to be a lot of networking, whether it's people that you actually spoke with or you mentioned the Poker Joe article, just still tapping into, you know, other people's knowledge, however you could so I understand that networking is a big part of what you do. Um, again, I know we met at Bat Bash, which was kind of the, the ultimate networking event for a lot of people in the sports betting space. So can you elaborate on um, how even though you've kind of made that decision you referenced to go solo, how networking still remains a crucial part of your day to day? Right. So solo, I was talking about more the handicapping element. The networking element is of, you know, partners and relationships and getting the accounts. That's actually the backbone. Um, today, once you've been around for a while, a couple of years, so I've done this five plus years. It's it's you know, show me your friends, and you kind of you can you'll you can see what your profits will be. You need people to work with in this industry to get you the places to to bet. So 
winning in small markets, you know, it's kind of a, a foregone conclusion once you've been doing it for a while. Now, winning means a lot of different things, 5% ROI, 10% ROI. But overall, if, if you put in the work, you're going to win in these small markets. What really matters is volume. You know, actually being able to get down at numbers and, and more importantly, numbers that are good because, you know, you might have a line that's gr great, but if you're not able to get a bunch down and the line moves, not not so great. So I, I think out there it's, it's really important that once you've kind of there's a big distinction between winning bets and making money in sports betting. Uh, it's, it's, it's not exactly the same the same thing. So at, at the end of the day, um, a lot of people spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to win without trying to figure out how to network, how to actually get down. If you're spending time learning and modeling and you have one or two sites, you're actually going to make less than the guy who has dozens of accounts, isn't as good as you, but has the ability to shop around and, and you know, get, get good numbers. Yeah, and I'd love to build on that notion a bit about this ultimately being a volume game. I, one of my first thoughts is that a lot of betters, uh, especially you know a lot of pros who are looking to get down what they can, almost out of necessity it seems, need to attack some bigger markets like NFL sides. And at the same time, I think you know accounts is probably a cornerstone of this answer, having access to plenty of accounts. Um, but looking for volume and at the same time being very, you know, hyper aware of your margin, what would you say led you ultimately to focus on props? Right. So, yeah, it's it's, it's an interesting question. So I, I think the best way to answer that is actually to start from the end, <laughs> work to the middle sure. and then tell the story from the, the start. So today, yeah, it, it's, yeah. Okay. So today I get asked this question, a different type of question. That's kind of the backbone of your question. It's like, why aren't you starting like a service or a company or teaching, you know, and then eventually trying to sell to some big entity or corporation. And a lot of that comes down to personality. So, so it's funny when people think of sports betting, they think of gambling, but I don't really consider myself a gambler. So really to do this thing where you build a company, right? Um, you basically have to give up your time. So, you know, time is pr pretty important in this business. It's a full-time gig really to be a professional. So, I mean, if you just do really simple numbers, you know, you own 30, 40% of a company, a company takes three to four years to grow. You sell it for a couple million. And now don't get me wrong. You got to think about the odds. What are the odds that you actually sell it for 5 million, 20%, 30%, 40%, you know, most companies fail. So basically, I'm afraid to give up kind of a, what's good and guaranteed today to kind of shoot for the moon later down the line. And then, you know, as, as you succeed in whatever you're doing, you know, you should have other investments, whether it be, you know, in cyberspace or the real world. Because um, eventually this industry, in, in my opinion, because of legalization, the, that element of being able to sports bet and win it's going to come to an end. Nobody knows when you can't, you know, maybe three, four five years, but eventually it'll become more and more difficult. So this is sort of how I got into props. The mindset was um, at first, I'm not betting huge sums. So it makes no sense to attack big markets, big markets when I can get down comfortably, you know, even on Bovada back in the day on props. And then just expand from there. They limit you, you find more accounts or you, you know, you sign up more accounts and you just, you know, as 
as your bankroll grows, you need to get more down. But at the beginning, it was easy to get down. And actually, five years ago, it was, it was pretty simple to win. It's, you know, every year you get a little bit better. And yet, I would say the ROI doesn't really grow. So, you know, it's possible to start off small and work your way up. And at the same time as you're personally getting better at the handicapping and working, you need to invest time in this industry, in the networking, in the growing. So you're able to maintain, you know, these high ROIs. It's sort of a gimmick. You know, people come to you because they want a high return. People come to straights because they want to get a lot of volume down. It's, you know, it's two different ways to skin a cat. But at the end of the day, it's a lot easier to bring along new partners, um, removing a lot of variance. And actually, in my five-year career, I basically only have two break-even months. Uh, one was this April recently, and one was in May 2017 when the Warriors decided to change the game of basketball and never miss a three-pointer in the playoffs. Yeah, well, that's something that I guess can always keep you on your toes. You mentioned the Warriors. I think of um, perhaps what a coach like Brandon Staley is doing right now with the Chargers uh, going for it on fourth down a lot. I know some other teams do it, uh, and the Chargers might be running unsustainably hot in those high leverage moments. But when they're doing it, um, you know, sometimes I think of NFL sides, if they're going for it on fourth down, not kicking as many field goals, often maybe go for a two-point conversion instead of kicking the extra point. Um, maybe the key number of three isn't quite as important. I know that's an NFL side kind of angle, but when it comes to props, I would also think, you know, as the game changes in, you know, in a Chargers game, I could imagine a lot of models that odds makers use to set, you know, punts over under probably aren't factoring in how often Brandon Staley is going for it relative to other coaches. Yeah. Um, maybe field goals under three and a half, because a lot of teams would try a 52 yard field goal on fourth and one, and he knows better and he'll go for it. So when it comes to these kind of paradigm shifts, again, you touch on that Warriors 2017 three point revolution that they kind of kicked off. Um, how do you keep an eye on that? And it, you know, at the same time, stay, you know, detailed enough to keep up to date as much as you need to kind of seeing the forest from the trees but also having your bases covered entirely because I know it's a lot to cover for a prop better such as yourself with all the different options out there. Right. You know, first of all, so, so nobody's perfect. You, you are going to get hit with, tr with these changes that, you know, there's just not much you can do about it. So I think it's kind of that touches on the uh, process of finding value. So you have your own models and then you see other people models out there that people put out and you aggregate some models. And I'll, I'll tell you why it's not enough looking through models, but I also think it's important to kind of keep in touch with what other people are doing. A lot of sports betting is not just about your, you know, origination and finding good plays. You, you need to understand the market itself, how certain individuals are moving it, how, things are being bet, will a line move? For example, if you disagree with someone's model, you know, a lot, you know, you should wait because if you have a good grasp on the size of their business and their network, if they're going to move the lines, you know, you wait. Or if they're agreeing with you, it's extraordinarily important to kind of get ahead of them because at the end of the day, finding value really means getting the best lines. Now, you can have hundreds of plays, one that will look terrible against a book to have, you know, 500 props. So you don't necessarily want to be taking, you know, everything down to a 1% ROI because that will just overwhelm 
the book, but it's really important to understand what the competition is doing out there. And then after you have your own models, a lot of times it requires a lot of people are very confident in their, uh, you know, Excel sheet, their Python model, their R. But at the end of the day, sometimes you need to do a little bit extra work digging in deeper, you know, information, news, than just kind of relying on your models out there and, and clicking away. Yeah, and when it comes to um, exploiting some edges, let's say you find somebody's model that you disagree with and you know that you want to get down as much as you can on something. I know in, in markets that are known to be bigger than props, it's a common refrain among pro betters that it's difficult to get down enough. So how do you approach that dynamic of knowing what you want to play, but then it's another way to execute the bets? Right, that, that's a great point. So it, it's all the more important to understand other elements of sports betting. There, there, there's a huge difference between sports betting and making money in sports. They're not the same thing. So to, to be perfectly honest, at the end of the day, the beginning, when you start your networking journey, once you do start losing outs and accounts, it, it's brutal and it's a grind. And even after you make it to hundreds of accounts, you know what? It, it's still a grind. And I think people have this, or not people, but some people, you know, they want it easy. And and sports betting is a business. And if you think about a lot of successful companies, you know, the business is, is hard. You know, it's hard work. So, and the truth is, that's the best part of it. Because if it wasn't hard, everybody would do it and there would be no edge. So it's it comes down to just a lot of work at the beginning where you just need to continuously deal with components that are not necessarily related to winning the actual bet. And, and that has to do with the networking, communicating, you know, partnerships and a, a bunch of other elements, you know, sports betting, the, the work, it's not that much different than other businesses. Yeah, spoken like a true professional there. And at the same time, I'd like to look at the other side of the coin because a lot of people listening to this probably aren't the biggest bettors. So maybe they don't have the same issues when it comes to liquidity in the marketplace. And for people in that position, what would be some of your top advice to somebody who's considering getting into props or maybe they're new to it this NFL season? Right. So rule number one, line shop, line shop, line shop. Do not spend time or you can if you love it. But if you have to be realistic, you have to understand what your actual goals are. A lot of people say that their goals are to win, but in reality, it, it, it's, it's, sorry, their goal is to make money. But in reality, a lot of people don't know what that means. So their real goal is to win or get likes or a, a dozen other things where they don't understand what it actually means to make money in sports betting. So, so the number one thing for someone new is line shop, line shop, line shop. Starting your journey by creating models, while it's you know fine and dandy, it's incredibly important to have a variety of lines available to you and a variety of different numbers that you can bet. So if you think something's good, Maybe you only take it at its best line. You don't push it. You know, if you found it at minus 110, you don't take it at minus 130. You don't take it at minus 140, especially at the beginning when your bankroll isn't very big. That shouldn't be necessary. And the way to make that not necessary is spending time figuring out how to network and get outs to bet. 
but anyways, long story short, line shop. That that's the easiest. <laughs> that's the simple answer to the question. Yeah, I, I like the perspective you give to it in this sense because I think it's common advice across pretty much any line of betting, but especially when it comes to props, that there's you know not necessarily that done best screen, if you will, that shows you know lines that a lot of books are copying. So line shopping can be even more valuable when it comes to props. And for somebody in your position, um, I know that um, something that a lot of people have done at a certain point is also to like look at sharp books, find their lowest limits and say, okay, these are the markets probably with the best attack surface. And a next step could very naturally be to just go to other books and pick off those discrepancies where they deviate from the lines at sharper books. Um, and that makes plenty of sense logically. I'm wondering though, is there anything for people that you know think betting sounds really cool? Is there anything that you think might be more glamorous to that equation? Or does right. it really ultimately come down to that will to put in the grind? Right. So that's a great point that you make. In reality, the moment someone's telling you that they're betting NFL sides and totals, their goal is not to make money. Because if it was, they would bet Division Three lacrosse or women's underwater basket weaving you know, if their goal was to make money, because I guarantee you those markets are softer than NFL side. So a lot of people need to really ask themselves and really try to understand what their own personal goals are. And when they say what they are, to see if they're doing the things to actually achieve that goal, or they're doing things to achieve some other goal. Yeah, and I, I think that you gave a really good answer there. And I could see just playing devil's advocate a bit, not being a pro better or somebody who bets a ton and has uh, you know the same issues getting down. But within softer markets, it, it can often be tougher to maintain the ability to get down unless somebody really hustles the way you do to maintain accounts and have a strong network in place. In fact, I know there's a pretty big emerging trend this NFL season with some regulated U.S. books kind of jumping the gun and releasing props earlier than we've ever seen before. And those can come with low limits, but it can also be a way to kind of set the market before those numbers are widely available elsewhere. I'm wondering, first off, does that summary of the prop landscape sound right to you? And if so, what kind of impact has that had on you as a professional better? Right. It's almost right, except for the fact that right now there are some sites that are allowing some pretty large bets. Now, this is kind of like fool's gold or people that have thought, think they found the fountain of youth. These, these companies are not stupid. What, what they're doing is they're trying to show growth, more usership, more volume. Eventually, they will limit again. Now, some sports book got bought out by another sports book. You know, they changed their business model. But long story short, this, this is not a trend that will stay around forever. I've been around long enough to know that you know, eventually they'll pass this problem of being profitable down the line. So it's funny that you mentioned this question because I basically went on a small tirade about this in a Slack I'm in. Um, basically, there's a, not, a lot of new players in this industry, a lot of new touts in the game. And I guess maybe either they don't have the ability to network or they, they actually have a, a cool dream of building a company and selling it to a large corporation. And you have to understand the motivations of the people that you follow and listen to advice and, and don't get me wrong picking people picking four day early lines props that their users they'll probably churn a profit the, the problem is obviously if this info is good the users themselves are going to cannibalize each other but as long as the company figures out how to kind of grow through the cannibalization through networking and marketing that dream of building the business you know it's going to stay alive 
Um, you know, at the end of the day, these sites will come back and and they're going to go back to their ways of limiting. God, I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong and it's not true and they're just going to let people bet. But come on, it, that, that doesn't make sense. Maybe. Who knows? You know, it's possible to be wrong. But, you know, there's other components of kind of a lot of new touts. And, you know, every once in a while, I think they're actually making uh, these are not the companies. These are just other guys, you know, on Twitter trying to like sell picks or get Twitter followers. I, th- I think that's like the new cool thing for for younger people nowadays. Having yeah, even TikTok, TikTok how, even TikTok touts is a thing I'm hearing. So yeah, it's definitely out there in social media. Right. So you know, every once in a while, I, I don't even think they realize that they're making this mistake. They'll they'll post a fifty dollars screenshot and have ten thousand followers, and and people are following it for bigger than them. D- does does that make sense? You know, you know, followers need to take personal accountability and kind of, you know, figure out if what you're seeing makes sense. I mean, a simple math, you know, if a guy's bending a hundred or $200 a unit and he has some great ROI, say, say he's a winner, say it's 10% ROI. And let's say he has, I don't know, 20 or 30 bets a week. You're talking about a couple hundred dollars a day, a week, couple of thousand dollars a month you know and they're prancing kind of around as as professionals and that's kind of you know they're playing on this thing where the sites are releasing early so they they look like winners because the lines are relatively soft but you know I think the word pro nowadays is kind of thrown around very loosely you know it's not just that a hundred percent of your income or close to should come from betting but it should be you know, sports betting is hard work. If you're going to put in the work to, to crush, I mean, you should be making something comparable to like high-end white-collar jobs like lawyers, doctors, or you know what, at the bare minimum, whatever you're qualified for in the real world. So something, you know, with this, how the books are releasing lines early is allowing a lot of, I, I mean, I've even seen these words, kind of false profits, kind of coming up and yeah they're winning but when the market changes i i don't think that's sustainable so this whole thing with lines being released early it's kind of like a new frontier so you know if the market shifts or changes you know to me it's scary to build businesses based off these dynamics yeah and to that end, I'd like to get into the mental approach to all this because I you mentioned you know when when it became clear that props were getting released early and all this was happening as you touched on uh, going on a bit of a tirade in a Slack channel or also having a good grasp of where things are probably heading but hoping it doesn't necessarily go that way. There's a lot of I think mental gymnastics in play in all this as well, and of course to, to me the people who can have the best grasp on the mental side of things are in the best spot to maximize the money they'll make as well as their sanity over the long run. And when we're talking props, I mean, they can be especially random in small sample sizes, understanding that these guys are often playing to win uh, rather than hitting a certain statistical number. Uh, There's a lot of correlations there. If somebody has a good performance statistically, that probably helps their team. Uh, That's not always the case. I mean, just ask Austin Eckler if he wanted to score that last minute touchdown against the Browns this past Sunday. And we're working with a lot of randomness here. And at the same time, Um, you know, when negative variance pops up, the pain of a bad beat can be about twice as severe, if not more severe than that, relative to the joy of a lucky win that you maybe didn't deserve. So it can be really important to try to stay in a neutral frame of mind 
to that end, what's your approach to handling both the hot streaks and the cold streaks and just all the uncertainty across the betting landscape right now? Right. So, um, you know, a little bit of chaos is good. Again, if it was really easy, everyone would be doing it and there'd be no edge. So I think, so one, there's a great book by, I think Tommy Angelo, I read this like a decade ago where he basically touches Tommy Angelo, where he basically, it's like something about psychology of poker. He basically touches on this notion that people think they're owed something. So first of all, nobody's owed anything. Uh, we're all extreme. Anyone who can listen to a podcast and does, you know, not struggling for water and shelter in a third world country, they're already lucky. The notion, um, it, it really comes down to, to one thing. And that's don't bet more than your bankroll dictates and your whatever your personal risk, risk tolerance is. Every other piece of advice is sort of a waste of time. What's important is to solve the root of the problem, not treat the symptoms afterwards. So tilt and all those aspects, those are things that come in afterwards. But it's not possible where if you had a $10,000 bankroll, let's say, and you bet $1, that, that you should care too much. If you do, you, you have some other anchor issues that you might want to t take care of. But but in reality, the hot and cold streaks, you want to treat the problem, not, not the symptom. And, and the problem is that people just don't understand proper bankroll management or people don't even understand themselves they don't really know what their own personal risk tolerance preference is you know there's a lot of different formulas out there kelly criterion or bet one percent of your bankroll long story short it's all personal preference and at the end of the day if you are not betting a sum that makes you uncomfortable then there shouldn't be those hot and cold streak emotional, like you don't bet more when you're hot, you don't bet less when you're cold, you, you have to treat the problem before you have the symptom. Yeah, that that sounds like you've put a lot of work into this side of things. And one quick follow up question I'll throw out there. I know from um, sometimes talking um, myself or with different people about any picks they might have, again, not trying to, you know, really sell people on it, but just talk through picks uh, with a lot of emphasis on the process. You know, I've heard the whale capper Drew Dinsick mentioned that he'll have times where he might have a pretty sizable wager personally that he wasn't able to share with people maybe before the line moved relative to maybe a smaller bet, but he put it out there and, you know, his reputation's on the line a bit. And there are times where uh, if you almost had to choose between these two bets, uh, you'd be tempted to take the smaller bet that people know you're on versus the bigger, you know, financial win if it doesn't affect your public perception at all or, or any followers perhaps getting in play on the same wager. So I, I know that sometimes like you'll post um, screenshots to show like just how many props you might have uh, in play at a certain time. Are there times where you've experienced yourself maybe having bigger bets that nobody else knows about relative to smaller bets that are out there? Um, and if so, how do you kind of approach your own personal rooting interest in that kind of mental game that so many betters and content creators go through from time to time? Right. Interesting. So I'm not a believer in posting before At end of the day when you I'm trying. I know there's just it's just different business models. End of the day, I'm trying to create some kind of excitement. I, I guess that's sort of touting. And then I just have my reputation speak for itself, where if you want, you know, it's kind of like, you know, maybe a funny example, maybe like a girl holding out on the first three dates or so, you know, something, I don't know, where you're trying to create this 
push pull desire of people to work with you. They see you winning. They want to work with you where instead if you just feed them they feel like and and there's people who do this where you can just kind of get the person's stuff material and not kind of have to play this back and forth where you know i'm basically trying to create a situation where a partner's job is just uh bringing the volume where i take care of everything else and they don't have to worry about it and that's just it's just a different business model you know there are legitimate services out there where you're gonna have to sit around all day to get the information because sports betting has a lot to do with speed it's not easy something's released you need to be on top of it you get seconds a lot of people have full-time jobs or a lot of people sometimes they'll be serious and sometimes they're not serious you know they'll get some of the plays and miss some of the plays and volume's important in terms of reducing variance actually the faster you go through a large subset of plays the less you know the quicker the variance will flat flatten out where if you have two plays or three plays it's not as good so i'm i i am conflicted with with sharing plays because you're right it's all reputation if the one time you share plays it doesn't even in an easier market where it goes wrong it will just turn off the people where if you kind of take the onus where if they work with you and you kind of do everything from a to z except for the one step of finding where to bet that you kind of alleviate all of their stress and pressure and you just sort of take care of as much of the industry as possible for them yeah, sounds good. Well, one more topic I wanted to make sure that we had a chance to get into would be content in the betting space, because circling back to that Circles Off interview you did, you mentioned that it could be great to see more educational content to perhaps help losing bettors lose less or maybe even break even, if not turn a bit of a profit. And also something that you've mentioned a few times throughout the course of this conversation um, content, maybe not just on how to win some bets, but making a good living. You mentioned that a professional better, um, you know, if they're really good, should possibly be making something in the range of like a doctor's salary or a lawyer's salary. And that sounds like music to my ears. And I also understand that a lot of professional betters can be pretty secretive. They don't want to tip their hand and possibly lose any edges. So as amazing as that type of content sounds, um, does anything come to mind if I'm to ask, like, who do you think would be well suited to make it? And, and what would it look like understanding that a lot of the most vocal people out there aren't necessarily the sharpest and some of the sharpest might be perfectly content flying under the radar? Right. So especially based off that last point that you said, I think it's more important to work backwards and understand what's not useful. So me personally, I started off not even knowing gambling Twitter it really existed. Yeah, I read an article before, but I, I didn't, you know, I didn't really know about any of anything, to be honest, out there that happened on Twitter. And what you find out there is a lot of groupthink. Um, and I think that's, it's really poisonous in this industry. Like, I think the best example, and I'm just, I'm taking this to my grave. I'm sticking by this. A lot of people talk about like account preservation, where, you know, you want to like throw in fakes or throw in tough stuff. But ask yourself, is it really better to win, I don't know, 12 grand after three months or 10 grand after three weeks? I mean, you don't know when the books are going to cut you off. You should never willingly give money back. Most of these places have a finite amount they're willing to lose. And that's it. So what's really important is that when you go over gambling Twitter, that you're able to really discern who whose information 
just isn't that good. And, and the best way to do that is to go through the story, read what they're writing, read what they're promoting. Is it about, you know, selling picks? Is it about affiliations? Is it about teaching you a process on how to win? And then follow the story. If the story doesn't add up or make sense, and each person, this is kind of the don't give a person a fish, but teach them how to fish. You have to over time read and say, this guy bets $5. That doesn't make any sense. This guy is selling affiliations to mybookie.ag or some ridiculous site that doesn't pay you half the time. Why would that book want their action if they're winners? You know, again, there's this disconnect that sports betting is some unique, different venture. But if you just use common sense practices, you know, and how businesses should work, what makes sense, what doesn't make sense, and you read the story that they're putting together, not just the plays that they're putting out, but you try to piece a story together over time, and this doesn't happen in one night, over time, you'll be able to avoid all those characters that are no good because it really is hard to find the characters in this industry that do have valuable information to give. I like that answer because it reminds me of one of my, you know, if I were to distill the mission for this podcast down to its purest form when I started it, it was to filter out the noise in pursuit of the best in betting and beer. And there are, yeah, some some really good diamonds in the rough out there and they can be tough to find, but a lot of people could probably, you know, heed your advice and, and just start by filtering out a lot of the negative. And in some cases, subtracting any negatives from the equation can be exponentially more valuable than all the work it takes to add a few positives here and there. And to that end, you touched on gambling. Twitter is your answer to my last question. And I would love to see if you had any follower recommendations potentially for the audience um, thinking, you know, again, possibly about a diamond in the rough, maybe not a person with a huge following already or necessarily a close personal relationship of yours. But is there somebody who you've come across that might be a net positive to the space that you think more people would be well suited to follow? Um, you know, so it's a hard question to answer. And I've heard this question asked to others in pods. And the one answer that I really liked where he didn't give a name of a person, but he gave more of an idea. Truth be told, at the end of the day, unless they're a very close partner, no matter what they're posting, you don't know the person. So it's extremely dangerous to go out on someone's rep and kind of say, yeah, this is a good guy, go and do this. I, I think a lot of this industry, what it's lacking is people are looking for quick, short answers instead of putting in the work. And kind of like you said, subtracting, you know what, how it's really easy to find the positives? Get rid of the negatives. Then you'll only have positives left and it's really easy to filter out the new negatives. So kind of instead of giving out a name or a person and at the end of the day, I think a lot of people, and, and you know, this is just not a popular answer, but the way to succeed in this industry is kind of going through, you know, you're going to have bad experiences, but working it out and figuring it out and not being a part of the herd. Because even when there are winners out there and they're a part of the herd, they're hurting their ROI, their notions and ideas, they're backing each other up. And it's really hard to think outside the box. 
So I think at the end of the day, it's just more important for people to start piecing stories together, stories that people are telling on Twitter and coming to conclusions on their own. Does this story make sense? Just like you would in a business pitch, just like you would in any other aspect in life. Yeah, I had a similar question for you moving from gambling Twitter to podcasts. Um, any possible recommendations? Do you have a similar philosophy when it comes to the sports betting podcast side of things? Or are there maybe one or two that you found to be particularly valuable that you'd be comfortable mentioning? You, you mean besides your own, of course, right? <laughs> of course. I mean, we assume that props and hops is just a shoe in but non-props and hops division. <laughs> right. I wouldn't be here otherwise. Um, so... Me personally, what I enjoy listening to are stories of how things were in the past and how things change and how the sports betting business works. So me personally, for me, it's hard to get a lot of value from um, what other pods are saying, because, you know, most of the people don't go too much into depth into their process. At the end of the day, this is a numbers game and a networking game. So my favorite pod for that stuff is actually Spanky's, where he talks more about the business element than the betting element. There's this like very strange fixation to me about the bit betting element when really this is a business. So, you know, another pod that I like is that. And then obviously the other pod I was on. So the pods for me that I enjoy more are the pods that talk about the business and, and the people more so than the betting and the picks. I, I don't like the picks. <laughs> Yeah, and I'll say uh, Spanky's Pod, you mentioned, that's Be Better Betters. I would hope that if anybody's hearing this, they're already familiar with that podcast. But if not, go check out Be Better Betters by Spanky. Yeah, and you mentioned the other one you were on, Circles Off, with uh, Rob and Johnny from Betstamp. I, I can't disagree with anybody arguing that those two are just at the top of the game right now. So I totally hear you there. And as we wrap things up, I did want to make sure to also weave in the other pillar of this podcast, that, of course, being the hops. Do you have a favorite beer or any other kind of drink, perhaps, to pair occasionally with rooting in a bet? Uh, drinking and betting, not the greatest idea. But I do love, um, I mean, as a professional, but I do love one beer more than basically any other. And it's not that common. I, I know they have them at Bev Bevmo's and Total Wine. couple, you know, you usually got to go to some local store but it's called hitachio white ale it's basically this japanese ale that lives up to all the hopes and dreams that blonde ale wishes it could be it's not too fruity full of flavor and it's kind of doesn't have that overwhelming back end and by far if i'm not having a great day or if i'm having a great day that's kind of my favorite beer to pair with the bedding I like it. And yeah, I'm, I'm looking it up on Untapped right now just because I was not familiar with it. So I'm going to have to see if I can uh, add this to my beer fridge at any time soon and give it a shot. Uh, one thing that jumps out, 5.5% ABV. Um, so as somebody who gravitates toward the hoppier side of things from time to time, uh, I hear you on drinking and betting not necessarily being the best simultaneous activities. But if you are uh, pairing anything with a bet, uh, that sounds like a worthy candidate. It's not going to do you know, too much damage to the mental aspect to stay sharp and at the same time, maybe take off the edge a little bit. Right, right. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for the suggestion. I'll have to go ahead and check that out. I also want to make sure before we wrap this up to go ahead and plug your work on Twitter at MLBK's Psychic. I'll drop a link to that in the show notes. Also, uh, the the name that shows up at the top of your profile BA analytics. So if anybody uh, searches for the handle and they, they see BA analytics, they can know they're in the right spot. 
Um, is there anything else that you'd like to plug or uh, anything else that you'd like to add in general here? No, I just really wanted to appreciate and thank you for getting me on your pod. I hope that uh, I gave some useful information to people about something a little bit different than just the uh, trying to win the bet and, you know, giving out picks and more to think about how this is a business at the end of the day. And it's not, it's sports, but it's not just about sports. Yeah, well said. I can tell you, uh, you really put a lot of thought into this. And I think all the listeners will appreciate it as much as I do. Uh, Porter, to hear this kind of perspective from someone in your position, I don't take it lightly. Really appreciate your time and insight here. Thanks again. Awesome. Thank you. Goodbye. Thanks again to Porter, and thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this conversation, the number one way you can support Props and Hops is to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. A close second would be to check out the BetUS NFL show I'm hosting with professional bettors Las Vegas Chris and Scott Kellen. In fact, if you're listening to this episode on the day of its release on Thursday, October 14th, then tomorrow is the Week 6 Picks show I'm doing with Chris and Scott, We'll be breaking down the full NFL weekend slate live on YouTube at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. You can check it out via the YouTube and podcast links in the show notes. And if you'd be interested in a real-time conversation with me, as well as the Dimers.com community of well north of a thousand fellow betters and counting, join us for free on Discord. You can also find a link to that in the show notes. And otherwise, that'll do it for this episode. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you again tomorrow with some week six bets plus a beer to pair with all the action. Until then, let's bet well, let's drink well, and let's be well. Mm-hmm.